We are now in our last week in our fall launch series called Fight, Overcoming Conflict God's Way. Now, obviously, I don't have time to recap the whole series for you uh, this morning. You can catch previous messages on our website or the New Life app, but here's the short of it. So far, we have looked at all that has gone wrong in the world and how everything is broken because of sin. We looked at the fact that this big kind of cosmic rebellion against God was kicked off in the garden in Genesis 3. We looked at that week one. We saw how Adam and Eve chose sin over God, and consequently, every person since has been born into conflict. We're born into conflict with ourselves, with the world around us, with each other, and most importantly of all, with, in conflict with God. And then the second week, we looked at how Jesus has reconciled that brokenness between us and the Father. And so that's great news for us, especially if you're here this morning and you're already in Jesus. You now have perfect peace with God because of Jesus' finished work on the cross on your behalf. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, the great news is that God has invited you in to experience this peace and this relationship with him through Jesus Christ. You can now actually know God and have a perfect, flawless relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about the fact that because we have now been reconciled in our vertical relationship with the Father, we are now sent out as peacemakers in our horizontal relationships, right? And God gives us the principles in his word and the ability through the power of his spirit living in us to resolve relational conflict with other people in our horizontal relationships because our vertical relationship is now right with God. And so now we can have healthy relationships and we can have a happier life. And today we're gonna finish up by talking about relational conflict in the context of a church family. And so today is gonna be kind of a, a family talk. So uh, if you're a guest here, if this is your first time, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you get to sort of sit in or eavesdrop on a family conversation. But I think uh, even for you this morning, I hope that this will give you a healthy glimpse into what Jesus is about and the life that he calls us to as we follow him. And so while I'm primarily talking to our faith family here at New Life, I think there will be some good practical applications for all of us. Now, let me remind you of something that we talked about last week because I think it's really important to set the stage for what we're gonna be talking about uh, this week. You may remember, if you were here last week, James, the little half-brother of Jesus, um, tells us that the, the root cause of conflict and fights and quarrels among each other as brothers and sisters in the faith family, the root cause of all of that are our passions that are at war within us. Meaning that our conflict with other people in the ultimate sense is not on them, it's us. So I said this last week, my, my biggest problem isn't my wife or my jerk neighbor or my friend who wronged me or my business partner who betrayed me. At the core level, guess who my biggest problem is? It's me. I'm my biggest problem. It's been said, wherever you go, there you are. Right, that's really deep. Some of y'all need to think about that for a minute. Wherever you go, there you are. I can't get away from me. And so I figured out that my problems tend to follow me wherever I go. 
because it's my flesh. It's my sin nature. It's my selfishness. It's this innate desire that we all tend to have that, hey, the world should revolve around me. I want what I want, and I want it right now. And when I don't get it, I'm either going to stink the place up, or I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to go home, right? Depending on whether or not I'm a skunk or I'm a turtle in conflict. We talked about this last week, right? If you're a skunk, you're someone who in conflict, you just, you just stink the whole place up, man. You just spray your nastiness all over everybody so they can hurt like you hurt. Or maybe you're a turtle, and you engage in conflict, and you go into your little shell, right? And you hide, and you avoid, and you run away when conflict comes. But listen, conflict is an inevitable part of life in the fallen world in which we live. Wherever people are, you're going to find conflict. You find people, you find conflict. See, the problem for some of us is we can spend, if we're not careful, careful our whole life's running because, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, people are everywhere. They're everywhere. You, can't, you cannot get away from people, and so you cannot get away from conflict unless you're just going to like move out to the woods, become a hermit, hole up, eat canned cat food every day, drink water from puddles in the ground, stuff like that, right? So what happens is a lot of us tend to run from job to job, we tend to run from one group of friends to another, from one romantic relationship to another, from one church family to another, because you find people, you find conflict. And as James told us last week, even in the early church, the most powerful, the most effective church in history, the church that flipped the world on its head for Jesus Christ, they dealt with conflict consistently, oftentimes. But here's the rub. Here, here, here's the problem for many of us. We have, many of us have at least, bought into this myth that if a church is healthy, it'll be this sort of utopic, perfect place where our feelings never get hurt, where we are never offended, and all of our needs are perfectly and flawlessly met every single week. And that is a fairy tale. That is a myth. It wasn't a reality in the New Testament church, and it is not a reality today in any church. Here's, here's what a church actually is. Church is a family of imperfect, forgiven, redeemed people striving together to become all that Jesus wants us to be. And listen to me. Oftentimes, on this journey together, we can be really clumsy with one another, can't we? We can say dumb things. We can do dumb things, hurtful things. We can, we can wound each other's feelings. And yet, and yet, this is the opportunity that God has given us to live out love, grace, forgiveness in a powerful way that shows the world around us the power of the God within us. So here's what that means practically. If we are ever going to truly experience a church family the way God has designed for us to, we must learn how to engage in relational conflict in a healthy way. It's a must. 
Otherwise, we spend our life running and avoiding, and we never experience the beauty of love and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and all those beautiful things that Jesus calls us to as his followers if we just run away every time it gets hot in the kitchen. That is not what Jesus has for us as his disciples or as his church body. God desires a unified family, and he desires it so much, he has actually given us steps to deal with conflict and sin with one another in his church. Now, I will be leaning again heavily on Ken Sandy's book, Resolving Everyday Conflict. I recommended this book to you last week. I commend it to you again this week. I believe every Christian should have a copy of Sandy's book on their shelf. Again, it's Resolving Everyday Conflict, seven or eight eight bucks on Amazon. You should have it. If you wanna dig in deeper with what we're gonna talk about this morning, you can go deeper uh, in his book in greater detail. So what do we do as believers when we encounter conflict or sin in the church family? We're gonna use uh, what Sandy calls the four G's of conflict resolution as a framework for our message this morning. So he's gonna give us four steps biblically that we should follow as Christians within the faith family when someone sins against us or there's conflict. The first step is this. Believer, you should always seek to glorify God in conflict. Meaning, when you encounter conflict, when someone offends you, when someone hurts your feelings, when someone sins against you, we, the first thing we do is we, we don't go give them a piece of our mind as much as maybe that's what you wanna do. We don't go, we don't go call our small group friends and say, hey, can you believe what Bert just did? Can you believe what he just said to me? The, the very first thing we need to ask ourselves when we encounter conflict or sin is, how can I bring God glory by the way that I handle this situation? That is a mark of spiritual maturity. And I confess to you that oftentimes that is not my first initial internal reaction when someone sins against me. Oftentimes, in my flesh, my initial thought is, man, I'm gonna go old school mafia godfather on this cat. He made me bleed, I'm gonna cut him and make him bleed even more. We, we, we have this sort of internal, repulsive instinct for revenge, don't we? How, how many of you have ever gone home after someone uh, said something to you hurtful or they wounded you or offended you and then you, as soon as you get home, you start thinking of all the awesome things you should have said to rip out their hearts and destroy their souls with your words, right? And you play out these conversations in your mind and guess what? It feels really good, doesn't it? Ah, it feels good. Like, I wish I would have said this to him. I could have wounded him. He could be in therapy for the rest of his life. And we play out these conversations in our mind, and it feels really good. And that is the opposite of what God is calling us to when someone sins against us. Check this out. This is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That word all in the original Greek literally means all. 
Like everything in your life should be done to the glory of God, including how you handle conflict with other people. Now, before we go any further, let me say that part of glorifying God in conflict, and, and hear me, this is, this is important. Part of learning to, how to glorify God when we experience conflict or when someone sins against us is learning how to overlook minor offenses. In other words, God, God has not called you to be the sin police for everybody in the church. All right, so every time someone does something that you perceive as, as wrong or offensive, God is not saying you should just whip out your little sin notepad and record it for later. <laughs> I heard Larry use the S word in the DMV line the other day. Time for a sit down with Larry. All right, all right, Susie, man, she looked at me weird in church. I'm pretty sure she was thinking bad thoughts about me. I'm gonna take it to the elders. I'm gonna have a, have a sit down. I'm gonna Matthew 18 her like nobody's business, right? Overlook offenses when possible. Now, here, here are two guiding principles that I, I've found to be helpful when you feel you've been sinned against or you feel like someone has hurt you. So two ways to overlook minor offenses. Number one is this, take no offense where none was meant. Take no offense where none was meant. Just because Sally didn't smile and warmly greet you at the coffee bar in the church lobby doesn't mean she's hiding a sin problem. Doesn't mean that she's hiding hatred in her heart. For Maybe Sally didn't see you at the coffee bar, right? Maybe when Larry asked you if you know where to get a really good cheeseburger in town, maybe Larry wasn't passively, aggressively calling you fat. Maybe Larry really is just looking for a good burger joint. Like Don't, don't take offense where none was meant. All right, number, number two, assume the absolute best about everyone. This is big church. Learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. This is huge, right? Don't assume just because somebody said your, your new haircut looks good that they're like sarcastically somehow mocking, mocking your new bob cut, man. Give people the benefit of the doubt. It is good to overlook minor offenses. This is wise and this is godly. Look at Proverbs 19. This is what that proverb says. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. We should overlook minor offenses. Not everything should lead to a confrontational sit-down. We should assume the best about everyone. We must learn to give each other grace and the benefit of the doubt. However, there are times when a conflict escalates and we notice that uh, there are roots of bitterness that are taking hold in our hearts. Or maybe it's something that rises to the level of clear sin, right? There's a guy in your small group who is having an affair and he's not even trying to hide it. Or there's a lady in your Bible study who's gossiping about other people in the church body behind their backs. There are times where we must step into conflict and handle it in a godly way, but we must first Always ask the question, how do I glorify God the most in how I handle this particular difficult situation? That's the first question that we have to ask. Now here's the second step. That's the first step. Second step in the process. We touched on this last week. Number two, you've got to get the log out. 
you got to get the log out. As we said last week, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, how is it that you guys can see a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you don't even notice the tree trunk hanging out of your own eye? You hypocrites, get the log out of your own eye, and then, and only then, maybe you will be able to see clearly enough to help your brother remove the speck of sawdust from his eye. Meaning that before we engage anyone in conflict resolution, not only do we need to make sure that we're handling it in a way that, that glorifies God, we also need to do a serious heart check on ourselves first. In other words, we need to make sure that we're not acting out of pride. We're not, we're not responding out of a sense of revenge or vengeance. We need to make sure that we have appropriately dealt with the nastiness in our own hearts and lives. And once we do that, we can move on to the next step. Don't get self-righteous. Make sure that you get the log out of your own eye first. Number three is this. We must, as believers, as followers of Christ, gently restore brothers and sisters. See, the goal of conflict resolution is never to tell a person off. It's never to wound them for wounding us. The purpose is always restoration of relationship. Firstly, to restore them in their relationship with God, and secondarily, to restore our relationship with them. And Jesus gives us three steps, a three-step process for how to gently restore a brother or sister. So turn, if you have a Bible this morning, to Matthew chapter 18. That is gonna be our anchor text for the rest of our time together. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. And this is Jesus speaking here. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, listen to this, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now let's hit pause there for just a moment. For someone to sin against you or wound you, they have to actually be close enough to hurt you, don't they? So for some of you, maybe you can't really relate to what Jesus is talking about here, thinking, nope, nobody has ever hurt me in church. That's the thing, man, if that's you, that's because you're not doing a life with anybody in the church. Maybe you show up on Sunday mornings, but my best guess is you're not involved in small groups or Bible studies. You've probably never been on a short-term mission trip. You're probably not on a serve team here, right? Because in your mind, if I don't get close to anybody, nobody can hurt me. It's this kind of defense mechanism, and it seems brilliant at first until you figure out that you're just actually suffocating yourself. You are just dying a slow death. Because God has created us to be in relationship with him and one another. We are designed to live in the community as the body of Christ. In part, because God wants to teach us how to work through these difficult things like forgiveness. And like, like loving people who are hard to love. Do you have anybody in your life right now that is hard to love? Don't look at your spouse, right? We, we, God wants to teach us how to work through those things. He wants to teach us how to give grace and forgive. And so for some of you, you don't know what Jesus is talking about here because you've built giant fences around your heart and your life. And if that's you, I just want you to know you're only robbing yourself. 
some of you need to jump into body life and risk being wounded, risk being offended, risk being hurt so that you can actually live out what Jesus is talking about here. This is actually healthy for us. But assuming that you're actually around other believers outside of a worship service on Sunday morning, when someone sins against you, this is step number one. You go, listen, listen, you go directly to your brother or sister and to nobody else with the offense. Did you catch that? You go directly to your brother or sister and to zero people outside of that one person when someone offends you or sins against you. And Jesus says, if they listen to you, you've gained your brother or sister back. And here's what that means. When someone hurts us, when someone sins against us, we don't get to go chat it up with our friends before we go to that person directly. You go right to that person between you and them and nobody else. And let me, let me, let me add a, a practical step to this. Please, believer, do this face to face. Don't, don't punk out and send an email or a text message or Snapchat them, man up, woman up, and go directly to them like Jesus said. Sit down face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and have a conversation. Now listen, I, I love technology as much as the next guy. I see the ads on TV now for the iPhone 11. It's got like, like three different camera lenses and stuff, and I covet, so I need to repent uh, of that. Listen, I, I, I'm not against technology. I'm pro-technology, I like it, but I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, emails and texts in our generation have destroyed more relationships than almost anything else. Because people will say the most vicious, malicious, angry things that they would never in a million years say to another person's face. And it is evil. When I was uh, young and dumber, or dumber, I would, I would get one of those angry emails and, uh, and I, would, I would type up a response and I, would, and I would shred the other person. I would shred them. I would paint them in a corner. I would turn it around on them. And I, listen, I could win an argument like nobody's business, but do you know what none of those emails ever accomplished? I never won a brother back. Never. Not one single time. So here's, here, here's what I do now. When I get a nasty gram, I, I don't even respond to the content of their email. I simply write back and say, when can we meet for coffee, brother? And a lot of times they're, I guess, so embarrassed that they won't even respond back or they won't even agree to meet. Sometimes they will, and when they do, Oftentimes, you can see the look on their face as soon as they walk in the coffee shop. They are humiliated for acting like a lunatic on a text message or a Facebook deal or an email, right? And half the time, they'll apologize before I can even get a word out, right? They're just embarrassed. They know what they did. So on the way down to sitting down, they'll say something like, man, I was, I'm sorry, dude. I was, I was frustrated. I, I really didn't mean that you're a mentally challenged midget. I mean, I, I, really, I, I, didn't, I really didn't mean that I hope you rot in hell one day. And I'm like, thank you. 
<laughs> I'm glad that you hope I don't rot in hell one day. Can't we just sit down like, like adults and have a conversation about this? It is amazing what happens when you actually do what Jesus commands and you sit down, you go directly to a person face to face and you can see facial expressions and you can see body language, the whole tone and tenor of the conversation changes. And so we go to the person, as Jesus said, directly, face to face, with our brother, with our sister, and we go, hey brother, I love you. Realize I'm not, this is not from a place of vengeance. I, I, I love you and I, I'm concerned that I see some patterns in your life, man. I, I see some of this passive aggressive stuff in your heart and I, and I feel like you're, you're hurting your family, you're hurting our small group, you're, you're hurting our church. We go to our sister, we say, hey, sister, sister, I, I love you, I care for you, but listen to me, the, the way that you treat your husband breaks my heart. I believe the way you treat your husband breaks the father's heart. Or what if someone comes to us and says to us, and they sit down with us and say, hey, brother, sister, I love you, but you, you are a jerk to your wife. You are short and rude with your kids. Man you're, man, you're a gossip. You are constantly slandering people behind their backs. In either case, whether we are engaging someone else or we are being engaged by somebody else, we need to go to that conversation with a humble heart. And our default position should just be, man, you know what? You're, you're probably right. You're probably right. I know myself better than anybody else knows me, and I know that I'm a sinner. So let me just pause and see if there's any validity in what this guy is saying to me. I know I'm a sinner. I probably did sin against him. So let, here's my encouragement. Don't, don't, this is what we normally do, and th- let me encourage you not, not to do this, and this is hard because for most of us, our instinct is to go into defense mode, isn't it? We get defensive, and we get, we get arrogant, and we get angry, and it's real easy when someone starts to confront us about something to go, you know what, this is the cat calling me out. This guy is the guy who's gonna call me out. Listen, I got a few things I've been noticing about you too, brother. In fact, I got a little, little file on my phone. I've been writing down your sins for the last four years. So I'm glad you brought this up because I've been wanting to bring this up with you. You wanna play this game? Let's go, we can play this game. That is the wrong attitude. Humility, love, grace. Remember, the, the goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win a brother or a sister. The goal is not victory. The goal is reconciliation and unity. So friend, let me, let me, just, let me just plead with you as, as your pastor and as someone who has to kind of like clean this stuff up in the body way more often than I would like to. Please, please don't do conflict electronically. Please don't. A, it's cowardly. B, it doesn't work. Do what Jesus commanded. Sit down, go directly to your brother or sister. And listen, be prepared that maybe you misinterpreted something. All right, in, in that case, you can apologize to them, but in either case, the end result is unity, and that is the goal. And you say, well, Chris, what if that doesn't work? Chris, I, I've tried that, man. I tried to confront somebody with their sin or something they did to hurt me or wound me, and I tried to do it in love, and I tried to do it in a way that would glorify God, and I did a heart check and all that stuff, man. What if it, what if it doesn't work? What if, they just, what if they just get mad at me and say, yeah, I am having an affair with my secretary, so what? 
Yeah, I am gossiping about half the people in the church. It's none of your business, man. Only God can judge me. Get out of my face. What if that happens? Well, even at that point, as a believer, as a part of the faith family, you don't get to wash your hands of the situation and go, you know what, I tried. I tried, I guess it's time for me to find a new church family. No, Jesus has you covered with step number two. Look at verse 16. This is what Jesus said. First of all, you go directly to them face to face, person to person, not to anybody else. The second step is this. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you lovingly and gently engage someone in their sin and they will not repent, you expand the circle minimally. You don't go tell everybody. You don't blast it on social media. You don't go look for other people who have a problem with this person as well so you can gang up on them, right? You don't go and say, hey, do you have a problem with Betty? Yeah, me too. Do you know anybody else that has a problem with Betty? Let's, let's, get a, let's get a group together. Let's go Matthew 18 this thing. This is biblical. That is not biblical. That is evil. You go find one or two mature, godly people who are unbiased in the situation who can go and mediate the situation with you. That could be a small group leader. That might be an elder at the church here. It could be one of the pastors on staff here and you sit down again face to face no emails no text messages no facebook messenger no, no none of that face to face and you pray together and you listen well and you call your brother or sister entangled in sin to repentance with tears in your eyes you say brother we i love you we love you sister we we care for you come back Come back, don't, don't do this, don't, don't wreck your family, don't destroy your life, don't create disunity in the body of Christ. Come back, turn from this evil. We love you, we care for your soul. Let us walk this path with you. Don't do this. And what happens if they still say no? If they say, yeah, I, I hear you, but I'm gonna keep abusing my wife. I'm gonna keep sleeping around on my husband. I'm gonna keep gossiping about you behind your back. What now? Well, Jesus gives us a third step. Look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is church discipline. This is another sermon for another day. But here's what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that you now have the permission to run up here on a Sunday morning and grab the mic and say, let me tell you what Betty did this week. That is not what Jesus means when he says, tell the church, right? Different churches may handle this in different ways. In our context at New Life, you would bring that situation to the elders of the church. And then the elders would sit down with this person. We would implore them to turn from their sin, to repent, and if they refuse even that third step, they would be removed from church fellowship and we would regard them as a Gentile and tax collector. Not meaning that we would be mean to them or we would shun them, right? Jesus told us how to love pagans and tax collectors. What this means is we would treat them like unbelievers. 
You just say, brother, we don't, we don't see anything in you that would let us know that your heart has been redeemed by Jesus. There's not an ounce of repentance or conviction in your heart, and so we're removing you from church membership. We love you. Our goal would be that you would be reconciled to the church family, but we wanna share the gospel with you. We wanna tell you to repent so that you could be restored to the faith family here at New Life. So if you get to step three, you would bring it to the church by bringing it to the leaders or the elders of the church. So don't run up here next Sunday and try to bust out some church discipline on your spouse. That will not go well for anyone. This is the three-step process that Jesus gives us to gently restore a brother or sister in Christ in the context of a church family. Now there's one more important principle that Ken Sandy gives us in his book about biblical conflict resolution. So here's, here's step number four for the believer. Number four, we must always learn how to give forgiveness. See, there's one of two outcomes when we engage somebody biblically in their sin or in some sort of conflict. They could either turn at any point in this three-step process that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18, and in that case, we will have forgiveness and reconciliation, and that would be a beautiful outcome, or they could give you the finger and walk away. And I've had that happen too. And here's, here's, the, here's the tendency when someone sins against us, they refuse to own it, and they give us the finger and they walk away. The tendency, if we're not careful, is that we can, we can begin to grow bitter. We can get angry, we can seek vengeance. And I would just wanna to say to you this morning, be, be careful with that, friend. That will, that will rot your heart out, that will steal your joy, that will crush the peace that God has for you in your life. But even when we, we go there to that place of conflict and things don't go the way that we wish they would, people won't listen to us, they won't turn from their sin, they won't repent from the wounds they've caused, we can still choose to forgive. I said this last week, forgiveness is not saying that what someone did to us was okay. That is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing someone into God's hands. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, he is a way better judge than you are. He, he can handle it. And when we, when we do that, when we when we give forgiveness, even when someone doesn't deserve it, even when someone hasn't asked for it, it frees us from the toxins of bitterness and vengeance. Brothers and sisters, we must learn how to love and forgive one another, regardless of what their response is when we follow these steps that Jesus gave us in Matthew 18. We still love, we still forgive. And here's the thing, church, when we follow these principles that Jesus has given us, listen to me, listen to me, supernatural things begin to happen in the body. I had an instance uh, earlier this year where someone contacted me and they said, hey, listen, I've got this thing with somebody else in the church family. Can you help? We had both parties come and they, they sat in my office and we prayed and we talked about the situation and everybody listened carefully. Listen, by the end of our time together, everybody was hugging each other and it was beautiful. This stuff really works if we will be obedient to follow in Jesus' commandments. We've gotta learn how to obey Jesus even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it means conflict. And here, here's why the unity of the body of Christ is so massively important to Jesus. Listen to, the, listen to the, this prayer from Jesus 
for his disciples right before he goes to the cross. This is on the screens for you, John 17. Listen to this prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, the 12 disciples there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Listen, that's us. Jesus is praying for us right here in John 17 that they may all be one. That they may be unified just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And this is where it gets good. Listen, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that last part? Jesus just said that our unity with one another, the unity of the body of Christ, is what will prove to the world that the Father actually sent him. You think it's a little bit important. So this is the big idea of the whole message this morning. This will be on the screens for you. Listen, believers, our unity authenticates the message of Jesus. That is how massively important this is. Earlier in John 13, Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. That's how the world will know that I am who I said I am is by the way you love one another, by your unity with one another. Our unity as a faith family is massively important. Why? And that is why it's so important for us to step into the uncomfortableness of conflict resolution with one another. Now listen, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, usually I'm a pretty chill guy unless I'm watching an Alabama football game, don't wanna watch a Bama game with me. Typically, I'm pretty even killed emotionally. It takes me, it takes a little bit to get me fired up. And um, I'm typically pretty patient at home with my kids, but man, you, you wanna see me get hot with my kids, you let one of my kids try to destroy unity with my other kids. Or you let two of them gang up on one of them. You, try, you, you watch them try to, try to turn each other against one of their brothers or sisters, man, and I will come down on them like a ton of bricks. I hate that. Why? Because as their father, there's nothing more important to me in my family than our love and our unity with one another. And our heavenly dad is no different in that regard. Listen to Proverbs chapter six. This should be, this should be chilling for all of us. This will be on the screen. Proverbs 6 says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, that means pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and listen to this last one, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is chilling. It says, God hates the one who stirs up division among the brothers. That's not me saying it. That's God's word saying it. He hates it. It is an abomination in his eyes. And I say all of that to say this to you, brothers and sisters. This is way bigger than you and your feelings and your emotions. And it's way bigger than me and my feelings and our emotions. Our unity and love for each other authenticates the message of Jesus to the world around us. And so when we make things right with each other, when we sit down face to face and we just plead with each other, man, I, I love you. Please turn away from this. This is gonna destroy your life. And when people come to me, our, autom our automatic reaction is just, yes, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Tell me my sins so that I can repent, man. Let's do this together. Let's make our heavenly dad proud in the way that we love each other and give each other grace and forgiveness. And when we do this, this is when the enemy begins to lose the battle. This is when the world sees that Jesus is 
real, and this is when we get set free to live the life that God has for us. Let's practice biblical conflict resolution well. Let's fight ferociously for unity and love with one another. Jesus demands it. God hates anything less among his children. Listen, whenever we are united, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. A united church family is the most beautiful and dangerous weapon in God's kingdom, new life. Let's be that church. I wanna close with a quote from the great English pastor Charles Spurgeon. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, you that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had ever joined a church, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, as imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. New Life, our church family is a beautifully imperfect gift from God. Let's love each other well for our greatest good and God's highest glory. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that this is not in any way easy. It's easy to get mad, it's easy to get angry, it's easy to point fingers, it's easy to accuse, it's easy to run away when it gets hot in the kitchen, God. It is really hard to walk through Matthew 18 and love each other well, even through the mess of life and conflict and sin and wounds, and yet you have called us into this. God, this is not a gray area in your word. This is black and white. You call us, you command us to do this for our good, for your glory. God, would you remind us of what is at stake here? that the world around us sees the God within us when we live this out and only when we live this out and we are in unity with one another. God, give us courage. Give us courage. Help us long to please you more than we fear the uncomfortableness of healthy conflict with one another. God, help us press into you. Help us trust you enough to obey you even when it's hard. God, help us love each other well. Help us forgive each other relentlessly, God. Help us to do conflict well for your glory. And we ask and we pray all of these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.